At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Sarah Eisen and Kayla Tausche. Kramer and Faber have the morning off. Coming off that uh, biggest drop for stocks since June, futures are mixed here this morning as the Dow and the S&P look to stabilize. We'll see about the Nasdaq. Uh, the August jobs number up 1.37 million in line with consensus. That unemployment rate much better than expected, down to 8.4. And we'll talk to Vice President Mike Pence later on this hour about that data, Sarah, as we dig into it ourselves with pretty good numbers on government hiring, work weeks up, labor force participation, and a lot more. A lot of the jobs that have been lost since the pandemic are being recovered. No question, it was a much better number than was expected, with the headline being 1.4 million jobs added and the unemployment rate going below double digits for the first time since the pandemic. Adding it all up, we now have recovered since April a total of about 10.6 million jobs, which is huge progress, but it also leaves a huge hole. We still have 11.5 million fewer jobs than we had in February, which was the month before the pandemic. So we still got to dig ourselves out of the hole and we still got to look at the permanent impact of all this. One of the numbers I went to first in this report is the number of people seeing permanent job losses. It did rise by about half a million. It's 3.4 million. So that is the highest level since 2013. And it does point to the fact that there is going to be some permanent scarring Despite the fact, Carl, that we that we are seeing progress, it's moving in the right direction. The jobs that have been lost are adding them the fastest leisure and hospitality, retail, those kind of lower paying service sector jobs, which were the hardest hit, are coming back. And some of the hardest hit groups like Latinos and women saw the biggest uh, decreases in unemployment rate. That is good progress overall. But I think there are some longer questions that we need to dive into and the implications for that. Yeah. And Kayla, we'll talk about that, as we said, uh, with the vice president, to Sarah's point about permanent uh, job losses uh, up to 3.4 million. And we've seen sort of anecdotal evidence of that uh, in the recent weeks, whether it's MGM or Coke or Maersk or Salesforce.com companies uncertain about the future, number one. And number two, paying higher prices for goods, trying to offset it with headcount reductions. Um, And that's going to be a question whether or not this scarring Uh, to the labor market in general is more permanent than we think. And that's going to be one of the questions that we put to the vice president. I mean, certainly there have been many companies that have been right-sizing or downsizing to try to shift their workforce to fit the future economy. And even in this jobs report, you did have 3.3 million Americans who are working part-time who would prefer full-time work. And that is certainly a symptom of this pandemic and the fact that it is going to be a slow grind from here on out as businesses figure out exactly what their needs are. But to be sure, even with 300,000 jobs added by the government, largely because of census hiring uh, that is getting back 
back on track as the coronavirus gets a little bit more under control. Uh, more than a million jobs created in the private sector in the United States. That is no doubt a very positive number and is going to be one uh, that you can expect the White House to talk about quite a bit, to use as a tailwind Kayla. going into the final two months before the election. Uh, and Sarah, I'll toss it back to you. No, I was just going to ask you about what this means for stimulus, because on one hand, we had an 800 down day, point down day on the Dow yesterday, worst day for stocks. And there was some chatter that, you know, a few of those days added up together and you might get some urgency there on the congressional front to come up with a stimulus plan when all they're focused on is the election right now. But then you have a better jobs report, which which doesn't exactly add to the urgency. It's one of the reasons I'm watching the market reaction here very carefully, a 200 point update on the Dow after a rebound from yesterday. But again, it does sort of raise the question, jobs and markets, and whether that's bred some complacency from both the Democrats and the Republicans as far as passing another right. stimulus bill. Well, it's important to remember who holds the stock market in highest regard. Republicans watch the stock market as a barometer because it is one of the most critical statistics that they are using to talk about the economy and the recovery. And they want to be able to reference that going out on the campaign trail and talking about the fact that the president is the one who is building the economy back. The Democrats have been acknowledging that the stock market is not the economy. They uh, have been talking a lot about the plight of the worker, the 20, 29 million workers who are still collecting unemployment benefits. And so they they have sort of seized on the disconnect between the stock market and the economy. So it's unclear that a drop in the stock market would incentivize de Democrats to move. Now, we did have a development in the last day uh, with Nancy Pelosi's office suggesting that her conference would support a clean continuing resolution to keep the government open at least through mid-November. So that would sort of separate the two very toxic debates over funding the government and at what levels and whether and at what size sim stimulus package you would need going forward. But we don't know exactly where the Republicans stand on that package and whether they would prefer to combine these because this is the last must-pass piece of legislation before the end of the year. And I've talked to Republican aides who say if the COVID relief bill is not attached to this, it's not going to get passed. So uh, we'll see whether that actually seals the fate of whether we even get any future relief. Carl? Right. Uh, well said, Kayla. We'll, we'll talk more, obviously, with the vice president in a minute. Uh, in the meantime, the conversation really pivots around the jobs number, around uh, government support, and of course, the technical aspects of trading that really came into sharp relief yesterday. For more on all of that, David Kelly joins us today, J.P. Morgan Asset Management's Chief Global Strategist, and Diane Swank, Grant Thornton, Chief Economist. Happy Friday, guys. Good to see you again. Glad to be here. Uh, Diane, let's just start with the jobs number uh, itself. Uh, the word satisfying was used uh, from some guests on Squawk Box this morning. You go along with that? I, I'm glad to see more than a million jobs created in the private sector. That certainly is good news. The pace of job creation, though, is slowing, especially once you strip out those census workers, which will be laid off again at the end of September. There's some things that I think are important is that uh, Sarah noted as well, and that is the underlying fragility in some of this data, the move um, 
of the number of workers that actually were being paid by their work, but not at work. That reflects the PPP loans, and they are the ones most vulnerable to be cut as we move into the fall, to see the slowdown in the pace of hiring, the pace of recalls, and not being able to really generate new jobs in professional services. Um, over half of the games were came from temporary services, people using temporary hiring services. That's the complete opposite of what we saw pre-crisis. So there's underlying fragility in the data, even though we are still seeing that above a million gains. As we slip below a million, if we get below a million into the fall, which is my concern when the headwinds pick up, you're going to take even longer to mm. regain what we lost, let alone create new jobs up there. And that's one of the things that I'm concerned about, especially for women. Great improvement in the unemployment rate, yet the participation rate for women stayed stagnant. Much of the increase in participation came from men and teens. And you can also imagine that many teenagers are having to have to supplement their families that now don't have that extra supplement in their unemployment insurance, and they're having to work when their mothers can't. Right. Now, you've done a great job at, at highlighting some of the inequalities that we're seeing even amid the broad recovery, uh, Diane. Uh, David, um, as for you, I'm wondering, relative to expectations, not so much this number uh, for August, but in terms of, say, the unemployment rate at 8.4, that's not mm -hmm. only below double digit, but it's below some of the year end targets that we've heard from uh, sell side analysts and, and Fed officials themselves like Bullard. Well, yes, but it, I mean, it's a very volatile number. What originally happened was between February and April, 25 million jobs were lost in the household survey, but only 22 million jobs were lost in the payroll survey. So you've got this tale of two surveys. And what happened today is the, the employment number in the household survey came back up to be more in line with the payroll survey. But the thing that sort of strikes me about this is there's still 3.7 million people less in the labor force than was the case back in February. These are people who stopped looking for work. Now, as we go month after month with just normal unemployment benefits, a lot of these people are going to scra scramble basically to find any job. And because of that, I think unemployment could pick up again. So if you added those 3.7 million people back in, you're talking about a true unemployment rate of about 10.7%. So it is better. There is so improvement here. And I, I'm glad to see the improvement we've seen. But we really do need to cure the pandemic if we're going to get that other half of the sort of 22 million people who are laid off in, in the pandemic. If we're going to get them reemployed, we've got to get to the end of the pandemic. So it, it strikes me that David and Diane and I, we're all pointing out the fact that there's still so much underlying weakness in this jobs market. We haven't even mentioned the fact that there are 29 million Americans that are still collecting state and federal unemployment benefits. But, but clearly, Wall Street and, and the White House and everyone appears to be encouraged by the direction that we're going in, as we should. David, I think it raises the question for the market. It, it's sort of like the Fed balance sheet question, the stock versus flow. Is it enough yeah. that we're going in the right direction and that we continue to see improvement for the stock market to keep its record rally? Or at some point, is it going to wake up and say, this is still record levels of unemployment with, with some serious question marks about what this economy looks like? Well, I, I think that the trend is, is good, and I think the trend of improvement for the stock market or for the economy is what the stock market's latching on to. But I think particularly when you look at sort of mega cap growth stocks in the U.S., they have kind of, you know, in, in, taken on board that trend and added to it. So we, we think that they've, they've moved up too fast uh, on this, perhaps. Um, we will get out of this pandemic, but uh, we will get out of it with a lot more debt. I think interest rates will have to go up in 2021, 2022. 
So I think investors should be cautious here. Just think about the value of what you own. There are plenty of things in the middle of the, the equity market, the plenty of international equities, which are a lot cheaper than the you know, U.S. mega caps. And I, I think um, to, some, to some extent, the market is um, overestimating the importance of, the, of this rebound. Does this economy need an extra stimulus package? If we continue to see jobs numbers like this, 1.4 million added each month and, and hopefully more than that, do we need it? Do we need the extra PPP and the extra unemployment benefits? Oh, we absolutely need it. What we're still seeing is, in fact, those, the fragility of those workers that um, how many, 11% of the workers that they surveyed were sort of attached to the workforce via some PPP that were employed and working, but not actually at their job. They were counted as working and not at their job. They're very vulnerable for the ones that get cut as those PPP funds run out. And we're also seeing, we know that the $300 per week that is sort of trickling in is not does not apply all of those collecting unemployment insurance at this stage of the game, those that get less than 100 a week will not get that extra 300. And it takes time. And worse yet, it only lasts for three to four weeks. So they're sort of thinking that within the next month or so, the people who don't want to provide stimulus are saying, well, it's all over. We won't need this. And I think the theme that all of us have been getting back to is there still is a tremendous amount of scarring. And those that are scarred the most in terms of longer term unemployment and permanent layoffs are those that are least affected by the strong gains in the stock market. Hey, David, you said back in June that this will be a recession that begins with the virus and ends with the vaccine. And I wonder if you still believe that's true, given all of the economic data that we've seen in the last few months. Do you still believe that the economy will continue to be at recession levels uh, until we see that vaccine approved, even if it's not until early next year? Or do you think that maybe we're getting rosier data than we expected? No, that's absolutely what's going to happen. I mean, it's, it's kind of like jumping off a cliff onto a trampoline. I mean, the balance is impressive. But the fall is what is important here. We're going to get a very big bounce in third quarter GDP. It could be 30 percent, but that's still going to leave the economy down, peak to trough, almost as much as, in the great, as it was in the great financial crisis, peak to trough. So we're still way below normal. And from there on, it's going to be a slow trudge, three or four percent GDP growth rates until we get a vaccine. So it's very, you know, people talk about stimulus. It's not really stimulus. It's about supporting people's lives until they can get back to normal. There's not very much you can do if you're a hotel worker or restaurant worker who's been laid off in a city that depends on, on tourism. You've got to support these people and then focus on just killing this, vaccine, this virus as quickly as possible in 2021 by public health measures and by the introduction of a vaccine. So it's very important to support people through this because this is a V-interrupted uh, economic recovery. It's not going to get all the way back to full health uh, until we can deal with the pandemic. Diane, as we go into the holiday season, which is so important for hiring, we're already getting some good news, though. FedEx plans to hire 70,000 workers for the holiday, which is about 15,000 more than it usually does. Do you think that holiday hiring will remain at historic levels, or do you think that we'll see that suffer as we get into flu season now, which could dovetail with future outbreaks? Well, I think here's where you see the bifurcation, of course, the move to online supports hiring from, from delivery services like FedEx. But on the other side of it, as we move into the winter months, if we've not contained the virus, and David's absolutely right, it's the virus that determines the course of the economy. After a big rebound, we could see a sharp slowdown in momentum as we hit the headwinds of colder weather, restaurants not being able to di serve diners outside. That will mean more cuts, many restaurants unable to sustain 
sustain their their models with a much more diminished in, indoor dining. Also, the pullback Halloween is one of the second largest holidays for retailers. Not that not being the holiday that it once was because people can't do the things they once would do, and then you're cutting into celebrations. All the ramping up that usually goes down goes on in terms of everything from corporate celebrations, which we saw collapse in the fall of 2008. You're going to see even more of a collapse in that in this fall. So spending by businesses and by individuals more afraid of going to some of these places to congregate, that's going to slow down the pace of recovery. And I agree 100% with David on that. We're actually looking at less than 2% growth now in the fourth quarter without additional aid. That's very important of a kind of a slowdown after a near 30% gain in the third quarter, which will be, you know, sort of rallied about. But talking about this economy in terms of growth rates really misses the fact that we're only at a small port. We're still well below our previous peak, and we've yet to really generate new jobs again and sort of get that job generating machine that we're going to need on the other side of this. We could see some long-term scarring to that as well. And that's what we worry about mm -hmm. as we go into the fall without additional aid. Say that one more time. Chip, sorry. Right. Uh, no, it's okay. Um, uh, yeah, you also got to process the World Health Organization yesterday saying they don't anticipate widespread vaccination until mid-2021. Uh, guys, thanks so much. Appreciate it on an important day. Have a great long weekend. Uh, David Kelly and Diane Swank. You, saw, you see there at the bottom of your screen a news flash from Amazon announcing plans to add 10,000 more jobs. This is in addition to the 15,000 that they announced in February for their location in Bellevue. Pretty interesting uh, blog post here, Sarah. In addition to the new roles, uh, an additional 2 million square feet of office space in downtown Bellevue uh, by leasing some uh, new iconic properties they add. So between the FedEx hiring, 27% uh, 20, increase in seasonal hiring year on year, and now Amazon, I mean, shipping goods around the country is going to be a big source of employment this fall. That's exactly what Diane just said. Look for the job gains to be added this holiday season in e-commerce. And there's very little visibility in terms of what demand is going to look like for the holiday season. That's been a recurrent theme in some of the retail earnings we've seen this week, Carl. But one thing is for sure, Kayla, and that is they are expecting it to come from online. Signet Jewelers, which is the quintessential mall-based retailer. They own Jared's and Zales. They're all over the malls. She told me yesterday, Jenna Drosos, the CEO, that they're increasing their online throughput by five times for the holiday season. That's the most they could see into the future as to what's coming. And this Amazon job announcement just sort of proves the point. Yeah, and the pandemic is just expediting all of those structural changes that would have eventually come to the economy. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to have the vice president, Mike Pence, to talk about jobs and the economy. Stay with us. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Billions in losses yesterday for Bezos, Musk, Zuckerberg, and Gates in that dramatic tech sell-off. Robert Frank joins us now with a breakdown. Morning, Robert. Good morning, Sarah. Crazy numbers on the way up and now on the way down. The top four billionaires losing $25 billion just yesterday. 
some of them on track to lose billions more today. Now, Jeff Bezos was down $9 billion yesterday. He is still the world's richest man with $198 billion. But Elon Musk had the most dramatic losses. He was down $9 billion yesterday, but down $19 billion just since Tuesday, which is more than Rupert Murdoch's entire net worth. Now, he had crazy week. He became the third richest man on Monday, passing Mark Zuckerberg. But now he is down back down to four. He's still up $67 billion for the year, so he won't have to pawn any rockets anytime soon. Zuckerberg also down $4 billion yesterday. Old tech not immune here. Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer also losing billionaires. But here's a name we didn't hear much about yesterday. The biggest percentage billionaire loser yesterday was actually Dan Gilbert with Rocket Mortgage. He lost $7 billion. That was 15% of his net worth with that stock down. Carl, back to you. All right, Robert, some amazing numbers, as you said, on the way up and on the way down. When we come back, as we said, the vice president on the jobs number this morning, stimulus, vaccine, and a lot more. We'll also get you up to speed on uh, tech plays, momentum, which are not rebounding in the market the way the S&P and the Dow futures are. Back in a moment. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Taking another look at futures as we count down to the opening bell, the S&P and the Dow are set to open into the green. The Dow by uh, triple digits. NASDAQ would open in the red, but we'll see whether that changes in the next few minutes. We'll have the vice president, Mike Pence, in just a few moments. Stay with us. My own gut feeling is that the liquidity conditioning is, is still strong, and if it's not, then this market comes down by a lot more. We could have another 10% fall easily if, I want to stress, if people start thinking fundamentals. Alarian making a call yesterday on closing bell, guys, that we could have another 10% correction if the market starts paying more attention to fundamentals versus technicals, which I think spoke to a lot of people, Carl, because we've been constantly talking about this disconnect between the markets and the economy, certainly on the way up, when the, when the stock market was hitting a record high after record high. And just to give you a sense of, of where we are after yesterday's ugly wipeout, we, we are still up 7% on the year for the S&P 500. We're still about 3.5% away from a record high on the S&P 500, 5% off the high for the Nasdaq, but the Nasdaq is still up double digits for the year. So, so it was a blip, Carl, but I think the question, and Mohammed was willing to stick his neck out with a 10% correction call, is what was yesterday just sort of a healthy kind of correction as things were getting frothy and overcrowded and positioning was getting a little bit too bullish, or was this the start of a more meaningful correction where, where markets and investors do pay attention to things like permanent job losses, very elevated levels of unemployment, bankruptcies, 
small business closures, all, all the things where, where you're scratching your head as the market reached a record high. Yeah, yeah. But your point's a good one, uh, Sarah, and that is that a lot of the regulars who came on our air, as the markets were going crazy up, uh, I'm thinking uh, Tom Lee, El Arian, Roger McNamee, mm -hmm. Dick Costolo just this week saying they were getting increasingly uneasy with the number of new highs coming down, with the VIX going up, as we see it at 34 today, uh, the negative breadth overall. So to some, it wasn't a surprise. It was a matter of uh, when, and certainly we got it, uh, highest volume on the triple Qs since March yesterday. And as Bespoke pointed out, which was an amazing statistic, the third largest NASDAQ decline coming off of a record high in history. I know you saw that statistic, Sarah, about Apple's market mm -hmm. cap loss yesterday. <laughs> Just the loss alone, biggest in one day ever, any company ever, and bigger than 470 market caps on the S&P 500. I mean, that's amazing. Amazing. But it was also amazing on the way up, how much it was gaining in market share every day. An 8% <laughs> exactly. move down for Apple is what? A loss of more than $150 billion in market cap. I would also add Kramer to this conversation because he would normally be here in the nine. We talked to him yesterday after the close and he was saying, look, take profits. Millionaires, new retail investors, take profits. It was just obviously the warning signs were all over the place. Jim's another one, uh, which it's, I, I didn't mention him because it's obvious he's with us every day, but he was yeah. getting increasingly uncomfortable and was quite explicit about uh, his advice to people to start taking some off the table in the face of those rising numbers. So we'll keep an eye on uh, this today, Sarah, as we have this ongoing discussion about how long it would take if it were simply positioning uh, and the option, options market dominating trading, how long it would take to truly unwind that. It's certainly not a one-day event. Uh, so we'll have that discussion in the coming days, even if you believe the fundamentals behind those names remain intact. As for today, though, Sarah, uh, you're going to see, again, mm -hmm. banks react. Uh, Dominic talked about yields going up a bit, a little more of a reopening trade as Carnival's up another 4%. So um, that's going to be, if, you know, that's in line with the ongoing rotation theory if you're a buyer of that. If you're looking, yeah, the strength today is in financials off the back of the, those higher yields. What was interesting yesterday about the, the big tech wreck that we saw, which obviously took down the markets just as it had taken it up through most of the year, is that there was a little bit of rotation in yesterday's action into some value names and some underperformers. Energy stocks fared well yesterday. The cruises and the airlines fared well. Uh, and today, what we're seeing is energy is up again. Materials are higher industrials are higher. The only two sectors actually opening lower, Carl, are technology and communication services, which is where, you know, the huge run-up had been. Actually, the Nasdaq looking to go positive here. As the positive reaction continues to the jobs reports, Dow's up 132 points. I do think, though, that debate over growth versus value, Carl, is still very much alive. It, it wasn't just a, a sell-everything kind of mode yesterday. We didn't see a huge move into treasuries or a huge move into the dollar. We saw a little bit of that, but it wasn't an all-out sort of panic mood move. And if you think about it, the fundamentals in the, in the last 48 hours have not changed that much. More improvement on jobs continues with the story. We're seeing a little bit of flared, flared up COVID-19 infections in states like Alabama and the Dakotas, mm -hmm. but, but the hospitalizations and the death numbers, which Wall Street pays very close attention to, have been stable to, in a downtrend. So not, nothing really fundamentally changed. It's, it's being blamed on a bunch of profit-taking and overcrowded positionings and, and very euphoric kind of sentiment that we, that we last saw in the yeah. 90s.
which which is really what's what's Although, to blame you know, here more than anything. Yeah, I I would I would counter at least as it pertains to semiconductors. Uh, there's been a lot of news out of China this week, uh, and not just the idea that they want to have some say over the TikTok sale and how important those algorithms are, uh, the idea that domestic chips in China would be part of a new five-year plan uh, in the coming months, the Global Times, Chinese state media saying that the Chinese could trim their, uh, their stake in U.S. Treasuries by a couple hundred billion. So as a result, uh, continued weakness in names like Alam Research, uh, KLA 10 Core, NVIDIA, and so forth. Uh, maybe another topic for the vice president. Speaking of which, let's get to our Kayla Tausche once again. Kayla. Thank you, Carl. And let's bring in Vice President Mike Pence uh, from the White House, who's had a little bit of time to sift through this morning's jobs report. Mr. Vice President, thank you for joining us. Give us your reaction. 1.4 million jobs added last month and the unemployment rate falling to 8.4%. Well, thanks, Kayla. It's another great day for American jobs and American workers. I mean, there were some estimates that we weren't going to see the unemployment rate go into single digits before the end of this year. But because of the foundation that President Trump poured in our first three years of less taxes, less regulation, more American energy, more free and fair trade, and because of the relief efforts that we were able to secure from the Congress of the United States, direct support for families, paycheck protection, uh, today we see 1.4 million jobs added. The unemployment rate drops to 8.4 percent. Uh, it's, it's a great day in America and real evidence that the American comeback is underway. To be sure, though, the pandemic has wiped out the 7 million jobs that the administration created up through February and another 4.5 million in net lost jobs uh, since then. How long is the White House forecasting that it's going to take to get back to full, full employment? And how many of these jobs do you think are permanently lost? Well, uh, well no, no question that from the moment the coronavirus impacted our nation uh, from China, uh, the, the results have been very, very significant. I think in the month of March we had, we had seen 22 million American jobs lost. That's what's really amazing is with this jobs report today, not only do we see the unemployment rate uh, nearly cut in half from its high point of about 15%, but rather now we, we actually have seen 10 million jobs added back to this economy. Again, I, I really believe, Kayla, that that's a reflection of the solid foundation that this president poured uh, and will continue to build on. We're working with Congress today for an additional relief package, but the last thing this economy needs is what Joe Biden and the Democrats are advocating of higher taxes, more regulation, more economic surrender, and the kind of energy policies that will stifle the American energy renaissance uh, that I've seen in high relief in traveling across the country to places like Pennsylvania and New Mexico and Texas. I mean, this president's uh, advanced policies that have laid a foundation for this great American comeback. Joe Biden and the Democrats are advocating policies uh, that would turn us back. And for all those Americans that aren't yet back to work, uh, we need four more years of President Donald Trump in the White House. You mentioned the impact of the programs in the prior relief bill and the benefit that that provided the economy in getting a lot of these businesses to add people onto their payrolls. We learned yesterday that the Democrats plan to pursue separately a bill to fund the government and a bill to provide relief. A, will the president sign a short-term bill to fund the government beyond September? And B, uh, 
Will the president, what is the prognosis for a relief bill if those two things cannot be combined? You know, from very early in this pandemic, President Trump made it clear that not only were we going to marshal the full resources of the federal government, the full resources of our economy to meet this moment, to put the health of America first, but he also said we're going to spare no expense to help families and businesses large and small weather the storm of the coronavirus pandemic. And at this point, we've seen more than $4 trillion made available. The agreement reached this week by the Treasury Secretary and our negotiations team uh, to have a continuing resolution to continue to fund the government when the fiscal year runs out uh, at the end of this month means that now we can focus just on another relief bill and we're continuing to do that in good faith. Look, nobody wants to give direct payments to American families more than President Donald Trump again. I mean, we, we, uh, we, we sent those checks to American families. It helped people through this tough time. We want to continue the Paycheck Protection Program, which, which we think laid a foundation for many of the Americans that are coming off the sidelines, going back to work. We were able to preserve those job opportunities precisely because this president uh, negotiated the Paycheck Protection Program. Those are vital programs. We want them to continue. But what we've made clear is we're not going to allow Democrats in Congress to use a coronavirus relief bill to bail out poorly run Democrat states in the country. And so we're in the midst of the negotiation uh, and we're going to stay focused on American families, on American businesses. But this job report today tells you that the American economy is coming back we're going to continue those policies that are equipping Americans to make their way through this time. But we're also going to continue to take our case all across this country that we need four more years of exactly the policies, Kayla, that have laid the foundation for this remarkable V-shaped recovery that is taking place. I mean, think about that. I want to say this to your viewers again. Right. I mean, I think the Federal Reserve predicted that we, we wouldn't be under 10% unemployment before the end of the year. And we're at 8.4% unemployment today. I mean, we've literally cut the unemployment rate in half in just four months. 10 million Americans have gone back to work. I truly believe that's a testament in part to the relief efforts, but it's mostly a testament to the resilience, strength of the American people, and also the fundamental strength of this economy which, was, which has been growing over the last three years, our first three years, but on lower taxes, less regulation, more American energy, and free and fair trade. Okay. Joe Biden is in Kenosha, Wisconsin yesterday and was actually bragging about planning to raise taxes on American businesses. The last thing we need as American companies, large and okay. small, are standing back up from this pandemic is higher taxes. That's, that's why we need four more years of President Trump in yeah. the White House. And. Um you know, to be sure, there is quite a bit of ground between where Republicans and Democrats are on relief. And I know that you won't negotiate here, but you mentioned Kenosha, Mr. Vice President. And I want to talk about that violence yeah. and specifically the role that technology plays, because much of the organization on both sides of the aisle has taken place on Facebook, which in recent weeks has removed hundreds of accounts, both affiliated with Antifa and affiliated with pro-Trump groups. And I want to show you a couple uh, in the latter camp because you speak for the president. This call to arms by the leader of the Texas Save the Children group, which has 14,000 members. Uh, this leader brandishing an assault rifle and suggesting that demonstrators come to the rally armed. And there was also the Kenosha Guard, a self-described local militia 
uh, that posted this. Any patriots willing to take up arms and defend our city tonight from evil thugs immediately before fatalities took place? Should civilians be doing this? What does the White House say to this? And what is the role of social media in policing this? Well, the president's been very clear that uh, we want people to let law enforcement do their job. We want governors in states across the country to use their National Guard, support their law enforcement, and quell violence in our streets. But, uh, Kayla, it's, it's been Antifa, uh, and radical left anarchists have been driving violence in the streets of our city uh, over, the, over the last three months. And it's been this president who's made it clear that we're going to stand with law enforcement and we're going to stand to, for ending the violence that is besetting families, African-American families, other minority families, and everyone that lives in our cities. I mean, the, the truth is, we, we don't have to choose between supporting law enforcement uh, and supporting our African-American uh, families. We, we have done both in this administration. We'll continue to do both in this administration. But President Trump has been very clear that, uh, that we need to stand up uh, to the anarchists, to Antifa that have been driving violence in cities across the country. And uh, we're, we're going to stand with law enforcement and urge every American to let law enforcement do their job. Uh, finally, Mr. Vice President, I'd like to get your response to a story that The Atlantic ran last night reporting that the president on multiple occasions disparaged fallen members of the military. The president himself and the White House on the record have vehemently denied this story, but there were two generals who were reported to have been president, present, uh, General Dunford and General Kelly. Would you support their speaking out to set the record straight? Well, well what I can tell you is I, I, I wasn't in Paris, but it never happened. I talked to the president that day. I know how disappointed President Trump was that there was a bad weather call that, that uh, did not permit him to fly to uh, Bella Woods to, to honor our fallen there. And more importantly, Kayla, I, look, uh, I, I've been to Arlington Cemetery with this president. I've, I've been at his side at Dover Air Force Base with grieving families as we brought our fallen home. I've never been with anyone who cares more deeply about the men and women of our armed forces or respects them and their families than President Donald Trump. And our record really speaks for itself. You know, uh, under the last administration, Joe Biden was vice president. We saw our military hollowed out by budget cuts. We saw people literally dying in, on waiting lists to get into the VA, of, uh, the VA beset by one scandal after another. From day one, this president has demonstrated his love and respect for our armed forces. We rebuild our military, record investments in our armed forces, and we reform the VA and end the, those decades of scandal. So I, I, re, I reject this out of hand as everyone uh, has spoken out on it. And, uh, and I think the American people see through this for what it is, just one more anonymous smear job with an election just a couple of months away. But our armed forces, like the two members of my immediate family, know uh, that they have a champion and an ally in President Donald Trump, and they have a commander-in-chief who deeply respects them and their families and our veterans. And if there were an opportunity for these two generals who were present with the president that day, are you confident that they would share that view that you just outlined quickly before we go? I, look, what, I, what I'm telling you, I spoke to the president that day, Kayla. Uh, I know why they canceled the trip to Bella Woods. 
I, I, to be honest with you, I just I, I think the American people just roll their eyes at this at these late hit anonymous source media coming from the Atlantic or or anywhere else is just politics as usual. I mean, look at the record, look at this president, and I got to tell you, uh, to see to see the way he has stood with families uh, at their at their worst moments at Dover Air Force Base when we're bringing our fallen home to have walked the grounds of Arlington Cemetery with me. I, I just want to tell you again, I don't need anybody to tell me President Donald Trump loves and respects the members of our armed forces uh, like no one I have ever met. Uh, and uh, and, I, and I, that's why I, just, I reject this story out of hand, and I guarantee you people across the country see it for what it is as well. Well, we appreciate your response, Mr. Vice President, and uh, your time this morning to talk about the economy and so many other issues. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll close our conversation there. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kayla. Great day for America. Vice President Mike Pence. Um, so, Carl and Sarah, um, you heard it right there. The White House believes that this is a rocking jobs number uh, that uh, provides a strong leg for the economy to stand on going into the election with just two months to go. Uh, and you also heard the vice president talking about and acknowledging the role that some of these government programs played uh, in creating this foundation under the economy, which he referenced multiple times, the president pouring uh, the foundation uh, that we were on. But it, it does remain to be seen exactly how we get to that stimulus compromise uh, with so much room between Republicans and Democrats and with the potential separation uh, or the confirmed separation, as he just talked about, uh, of the government funding legislation and the stimulus legislation, which I know many Republicans believe uh, removes another uh, motivating factor for lawmakers to get uh, this legislation, Sarah, as we were discussing earlier this morning. No, it, it, it sounds like all the focus now on both sides of the aisle, but you, you just heard it from Vice President Pence, is on getting reelected and not necessarily on government and governing and getting more fiscal stimulus, which is a little bit confounding to me because obviously the stimulus that they have passed, the trillions of dollars, have helped this economy. This was a very good number for the Trump camp today to get under that double-digit unemployment. 8.4% unemployment rate is significant progress. But the Biden campaign can say, look, there's still 11 and a half million jobs that have been lost since this pandemic free February. And, and we're advocating for more fiscal stimulus to keep those Americans afloat and, and to keep the spending, which is why I would think it would be in the president and then the party's interest. But but clearly, you know, two months to the election, the focus is on the election, Carl. And, and, and it's and it seems like it's going to be hard to bridge that divide that fundamental philosophical divide here when it comes to getting Americans more help that they, they may need. Yep, yep, 60 days, as, uh, as we now know, and are going to start to count down in the days to come. Kayla, I'm curious to know your read about his optimism regarding negotiations resuming on Tuesday, uh, which once again sounds a little more bullish than we've heard certainly from Leader McConnell this week. Well, it comes in advance of Republicans unveiling uh, this so-called skinny stimulus package early next week with just a handful of core bipartisan programs. And they're all the programs that the vice president just mentioned, the Paycheck Protection Program, expanded unemployment insurance, um, some of these programs that both parties uh, would not waste any time saying that, that they do not support. Um, and so that is the Republican position right now. And we have seen some burgeoning optimism throughout the week uh, from Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, when he appeared on CNBC earlier this week, where 
where he said his negotiations with Democrats were going well, although last night he said his, his conversations with rank-and-file Democrats sort of in a jab to uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. But the fact that there is at least an agreement between the administration and the House Speaker to move forward uh, and not shut down the government over stimulus uh, at least sort of separates what could have been a potentially nuclear, very toxic uh, debate toward the end of the month, injecting a lot of uncertainty in, into the economy. So at least they have been able to get on the same page regarding that. But there is about, you know, one and a half trillion dollars of programs between what the Republicans are going to announce early next week and what the Democrats have said they would compromise on. And those gaps haven't been filled in, Carl. No, certainly not, uh, as, as uh, the chief of staff said uh, early, to us earlier in the week. But what's a trillion dollars uh, between friends, Kayla? Uh, we'll watch that. NASDAQ did go green for just a couple of minutes, but back down on the S&Ps in the red. Let's get to Rick Santelli this morning. Hey, Rick. Good morning, Carl. Now, we could talk about how much the data overperformed in terms of expectations, but the market is having a say-so here, especially the Treasury market. As you look at an intraday of 10-year and uh, see how it spiked up, it really did have a bit of a, a say-so in how to interpret some of the data points. And as you look right now at 10-year note yields at 67, they're up three on the day, down five on the week. 30-year bonds are up four on the day, down 10 on the week, which really is the point that we are improving. We're seeing some selling pressure pushing rates up, which isn't a bad thing, especially when the equity markets are trying to move positive after yesterday. But the point is, uh, from a weekly perspective, we're still much lower. And that really is in large part due to the Fed and some of the recent Fed speak. Look at Boone's overseas and do realize we're all in this together in a way in terms of correlations. Uh, the 10-year boon looking very much like U.S. Treasuries in its response to the 8.30 Eastern data. And it didn't end there. The entire yield curve popped no matter where you look. Look at 10s to 2s moving back up to 53. So whether you look at 10s to 2s, 5s to 30s, uh, the knob, notes over bonds, all of them steepened a bit, and that is a good thing. It's nice to see, even if real interest rates are still in the negative side, to see that pull of the long end uh, pushing rates higher. From a foreign exchange perspective, you're also seeing a dollar which has been much more dramatically weakened than many would have thought uh, in January, but the dollar's popping. You can see evidence of that on the intraday euro versus dollar. By the way, the euro is down for the day and the week, and the dollar yen. The yen is down on the day and the week as well. Carl, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you very much. Uh, we're going to continue to watch uh, the ongoing weakness in some of these momentum names. Peloton and Zoom down four, Apple down one, Tesla down two. Got two downgrades of Wayfair and Lululemon, and those stocks are down this morning as well as the Nasdaq's down another percent. Back in a moment. Watching some of the uh, continued weakness in momentum names, Sarah, you know, it, it sort of is going to remind people of the calls that were made in advance of yesterday's selling. I'm thinking of B of A downgrading Apple to neutral a couple of weeks ago. Wamsi Mohan, even though he was a little bit hedging on his price target, was worried more about fundamentals and positioning. Today, it's Lululemon downgraded to uh, yeah. neutral over at City. Wayfair downgraded to neutral also at B of A. Something, you know, some comments about valuation, but also comments about tough comps uh, in the future. And as, as City said on Lulu, you know, can we realis realistically recommend buying at 400? In their words, we just can't do it. Thought it was notable because 
as we've been covering over the last few weeks, it's just been a string of analyst upgrades and, and, and chasing price targets, moving higher as the momentum in this market continued to go into some of those names. So here we are after yesterday's big sell-off with two different analysts at two different firms downgrading two different high-flying names like Lulu and Wayfair. And both analyst notes on those calls we're actually pretty bullish. They, they admire and respect the strategy and the, and the boom in business that both Wayfair and Lulu have seen. But in Citi's case against Lulu, hard to justify it's a $50 billion company. The company reports earnings on Tuesday, and, and it was purely a call on the tremendous run-up in shares that Lulu has had. Similar call at Wayfair. Clearly, uh, Bank of America found in their credit card data, which they were tracking, that people are spending more money renovating their homes and buying new furnishings and, and that Wayfair was a key beneficiary, but they could not just justify the lofty expectations. And that was a change in tone from, from the sell side. So I wonder if we're going to see more of that now that we are seeing stocks taking a breather here. The, the other one I wanted to point out, which is sort of emblematic, Carl, of a lot of what's going on is DocuSign. So they reported after mm. the bell yesterday, hard to, hard to poke holes in that report. Everything came in better than expected, including the outlook. Billings increased, increasing 60%. Everybody's online. Work is being done electronically. Signatures are obviously being done electronically. The stock is down almost 12%. So, so here is the market saying, you know, 200% run up. Maybe, maybe that's already priced in all of these tremendous numbers, the stellar report, as analysts are saying today, which is just interesting because a lot of the analysts are raising their targets on, on DocuSign. But Kramer was saying yesterday when he called into the show, this is the key to the market. This is what's happening. All of a sudden, we're taking a look sure. at these sky high valuations and amazing run ups in the stock prices. And even though some of the underlying business is justifying it, like in the case of, of DocuSign, maybe it's gone a little too far. Yeah, yeah. Goldman's got some interesting buckets this morning, Sarah, of stocks that are poised to do well even after we get a vaccine. But, you know, which is it? If you get a vaccine and a reopening, does Zoom deserve to be at 450 or 470 as it was a few days ago? It's down another 7 percent. So investors are being asked to choose which which they which future they believe uh, is coming our way. Uh, we'll take a break here and we'll keep an eye on uh, an early session, which has signals that it could be just as interesting as yesterday's at least. We're back in a moment. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. 